Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Scrubbed In Show. I hope you've all been keeping well. This week we have with us Dr. Umang Patel, who is the Chief Clinical Information Officer at Microsoft. He was one of the early employees at Babylon Clinical Director and has worked in both industry, commercial, public sectors, Aviva, and is a pediatrician by background. You have a wealth of experience, you know, a diverse career. So we can't wait to get stuck in, but an absolute pleasure having you on the show today, man. How are you? Good, thank you. Yeah, thanks for inviting me. In the middle of packing up, so yeah, if people so, are watching, um, you can see boxes behind me. But uh, so, pleased to be. Thank you for clarifying that. They're probably kind of wondering. Before we get into kind of Microsoft, Babylon, all the things you're doing now, we kind of want to take it all the way back and talk about your motivation to study medicine and become a doctor. Great. Yeah, I haven't been back there for a long time. No, thanks <laughs> for asking. Um, yeah, I'm a second generation Asian. I grew up above a corner shop. You know, I, I remember vividly, you know, my dad saying, you know, you either become a doctor or a lawyer or you take over the shop, you know, the choice of <laughs> yours. You didn't actually say that. But, you know, there was always that if you could do it, wouldn't it be great if you could go off and, and do medicine? And I'm sure you guys have, have lived similar um, experiences. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I remember really vividly being a child and, and our GP was amazing, right? He was Dr. Singh. He's still our family GP, a good family family friend and a real pillar of our community and I thought you know if I'm able to to do that then that would be amazing and and you know that was a the career path I went off on um my uncle's a cardiologist in America and I, I remember we went to see him once and um he took me into the hospital and was like you know this is what I do and I just found it captivating so I thought you know if I could be a doctor then that's what I want to go off and do um and uh, throughout my career sort of uh, from then on it's just been well you know what I really like people um it's uh, like I say, if you grew up above a corner shop, being something in the community where people come and ask you questions is another big factor in it. Mm. Uh, even though, regardless of what would happen, right? Like people would come in and they'd ask my dad a medical question. And I'd be stood there, I'd have graduated by this point, and my dad would still answer. <laughs> and, like, well, you know, and they'd still believe my dad would be. And I'd like, you know, maybe, <laughs> you know, maybe that was the way to go. But I mean, that's how it all started. The specialty of choice. How did you end up becoming a pediatrician? Was it someone you met? kind of a placement, foundation training? Yeah, well, um, you know, I, like I said, I started wanting to be a GP, right? So I went to Southampton yeah. Medical School, um, mainly because I thought, like, Dr. Singh was amazing. And I thought, you know, that's, that's a great job. Um, I'd like to go into general practice. When I was doing my training and going from placement to placement, I truthfully never met a GP that enjoyed their job, right? Like, oh, I wow. never met anybody that was like, oh, my God, this is the best <laughs> job. Everyone was like, this is tough. It's a zero-sum game, and I was like, this is a bit bit depressing. It's really hard to get energy from from what was going on then, and it may have just been the placement size on um, and so on and so forth. That was entirely different when I ended up doing paediatrics. It was just a lot of energy. People really enjoyed being there. Uh, You could play Xbox. You could have water fights. The staff were you know more engaged, and it it just felt like a more fun place to be. So I thought, Mm -hmm. well, you know, why not do that? Um, had some great uh, cheaters along the way that encouraged that decision and uh, uh, went into paediatrics pretty early on and, and haven't looked back. Amazing. So how long were you practicing as a paediatrician and then when does things come to get to crossroads, your pivot? Because I know you did the Leadership Academy as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, you really take me back. So I can't remember <laughs> the years. But so I graduated, went straight into paediatrics pretty much. I did one house year Um uh, where I did paediatrics as one of my placements, so medicine, surgery, paediatrics. Really enjoyed paediatrics, knew that was for me, and went straight into a SHA job in paediatrics. And from there, got a training number and was working my way through training. Uh, that was, I graduated from Southampton, like I said, did my house job in Poole, then went to London. Um, 
my wife was a what is now a TV producer was getting into TV uh, when we were we weren't married then, but as we were starting to live together, we we're like, well, maybe London's the place to be. So as I went into training, I moved from uh, Poole, where I did the first job, up to Reading and Oxford, and then into Imperial um, and St Mary's. And whilst I was there, I just met some really inspirational pediatricians like Bob Kleber, people may well have heard of. He's had a great career. He was my reg. And so again, you know, Mando, Ian, there were some really amazing people there that just said, you know, what are you, what are you doing? What would you like to do? And I won't name the clinical tutor in case I embarrass her, but uh, I remember she was my supervisor. And one day she came in and we were having our one-to-one and she looked really upset. She said, you know, and I said, what, what's wrong? And she said, well, you know, I've just asked for this bit of kit, but the trust have said no. Um, they've given it to the orthopedic surgeons. It seems to me that they're so much better at writing business cases. They seem to get what they want, and we really struggle to get what we want. Uh, and I remember she felt she was letting the department down. Mm-hmm. And she was like world-class at what she did, right? A real world specialist in her subspecialty. And I was there as, I don't know how old I was, 20 five or whatever it was thinking well maybe i need to get those skills like maybe we don't have those like we've got people that know loads about infectious diseases or hematology or uh, you know um the nuances of medicine deeply but what about getting the department the stuff uh, that they need and if that's a gap maybe i can fill it and then people like bob and co encouraged that which then led me to the leadership fellowship and, and taking this different career path um so yeah i can't remember the exact years now but i was somewhere close to the end of my SHA training when I decided to to switch. And then by part of that, I took a year out to try and work out what I wanted to do. During that year, I sort of ended up locuming as a registrar, which then took me into mm. the, um, you know, I guess the equivalent of SD four, five, six stages. Um, mm. And that's where I got to. So at this stage of the journey, you're kind of doing a lot of leadership stuff. You're, you're doing things outside of clinical medicine per se. What kind of kept you around to explore that avenue a bit further rather than go back into being a full-time paediatrician? Great question. I, I always thought, and I probably still do, that I'll go back into being a full-time paediatrician. I think you get huge imposter syndrome when you leave the thing that you're planning on doing and then end up somewhere different. So um, I'd do this, I'd try it. My wife was like, I don't think you'll, you'd love paediatrics. What you, You'll come back to it, just keep okay. it there. So as I was doing the leadership fellowship, I always had this idea that I'd come back in and become medical director of a trust or you know, carry on my career and, and do that. Uh, again, there was a great um, mentor called Peter Reynolds when I was at Ashford and St. Peter's. He's still a friend now and just saw him the other day. And, and we often talk about how if you're going to do it, you have to sort of commit to this idea. So I committed to doing leadership, committed to thinking I'd do that within the NHS more than anywhere else. But I couldn't work out how stuff worked. So I couldn't understand how money flowed. Nobody could quite explain it to me. And I thought if I got some experience in industry, then that would be really useful and give me a, a different angle on, on the problems that we were facing. So whilst I was doing that, I went to, you know, where better to learn how to use Excel than, you know, how money flows and go to an insurance company. So I went to Aviva um, and my... Uh, when I was there, I was like, well, I'll do this job for a bit and then I'll get some experience and then, you know, come back into medicine, like I said. And my wife was like, why do you why do you have to do it full time? Why can't you just see if you can keep a bit of time a week or one day a week doing pediatrics? And I said, well, you can't do that. No one says you can. You know, I'm sure they're saying no. And she said, just ask. And I remember when I went to my boss at Aviva. It's a great guy called Doug. And I said, Doug, you know, can I do a day a week clinical? And he said, I don't care. So if you don't get your job done, I'll fire you. If you finish it in the time you've got, then 
you know, he's, he's quite had quite a dry sense of humor. That wasn't as mean as it sounds. And I thought, well, fair enough, right? Then the challenge is on me. Can I fit it in? Can I get all the stuff done? Can I keep a day a week? And, and you know, it turned out I could. Um, went to Frimley and I was lakeuming there for a bit. I was a medical student there. I knew some of the team. And there's a, a, a great grandee of pediatrics called Peter Walby. And I said, well, this is what I want to do. And she said, well, let's just do it then. I'll tell you what, I'll let you come mm-hmm. in on a Friday. Um, and that's what I do. That was, I think, 10 years ago. Say now, and since then I've been doing every Friday at Trinley and, and love it, and, and the rest of the week in, in various different roles. Well, I've got an interesting question for you. So, a lot of our listeners will be thinking, right, doctors usually they're in the clinical space, and now we've learned that they're also in startup land, they're also in some digital health uh, companies that are giving advice, right? We hear Aviva, and most doctors would go. How does a doctor fit into Aviva? Isn't that just for corporate guys from McKinsey and so where they just decide the flow? A, how did you identify the role? And what did you actually practically do? Because a lot of people will say, well, Iman, what did you actually do day to day at Aviva? Great. So um, I'm, I'm laughing a bit because if you ask my boss at Aviva, Doug, who I mentioned earlier, he'll say you made four PowerPoint slides and that was it. But um, uh, So how did it so you, Originally, I was on this water board program, as it were, with the Leadership Academy. And I, I met mm. a load of chief execs that said, look, Iman, we love your enthusiasm, but money's our burning platform. And I thought, well, I need to understand money better. So, you know, I was thinking, where can I go and do that? Somebody mentioned insurance as a possibility and said there are a few jobs. You know, there's always a job at Beeper, it seemed. There's always a job somewhere else that, you, that had, may have a clinical component to it. Mm. And then somebody pointed me in the direction of the Aviva advert for a clinical transformation lead. Mm. Um, and I looked at the advert and I thought, I don't really know what that is. Uh, I don't I don't have an MBA. I don't really think mm. I'm qualified to do this. But I, and this would be my advice to anybody listening. Because I, I was very much in the phase of, well, I'm not going to let that stop me from just asking if I can have a chat. So mm. say, I emailed Doug uh, or the job advert, you know, and I said, I wonder if I can just, I don't, I'm not qualified for this. I'll have to dig out the email. I'm sure I said, I'm not qualified for this. I just want to know what I would need to do in order to be qualified for this. And that led to a conversation, which then led to him going, well, do you know what? Why not just apply for the role um, and then take it from there? Uh, I remember I applied for the job and then it was a really interesting process. So I applied thinking I've got no hope of getting this job at all. And I Mm. I had to massively prep it, feel like cramming so much stuff in order to try and feel like I was confident just in my ability to answer some questions for an industry that, that I didn't have any experience in and was successful. And when I talked to them about it afterwards, a lot of it was, well, that's what we were looking for, right? So one of the things we were looking for was somebody to bring a different view to our work. So mm. we're full of management consultants that can tell us what we're doing and how we might do it differently. But that gig was around how do you try to understand how we can pull different levers in healthcare? Mm. It was relatively simple. Insurance isn't rocket the um they'll shoot me for saying but fundamentally it's about making a proposition that spreads your risk say more people want to buy it or want to join your your book um, and you've got a lower claim costs mm-hmm. if you can do one of those two amazing if you can do both of them great and so my job was looking at well what can we do around different pathways uh, we were doing things like rather than having to go to your gp to see a physio why don't you can't you just go directly into the physio mm-hmm. um why do you keep on having to go through one pathway in order to get to another one? Why can't we make them direct? How can we streamline services? I remember one of my favorite things we did was a one-stop shop breast clinic. Mm-hmm. Um, so if a woman wake up with a lump, rather than having to get to three different appointments, why not just go into a single one? Everybody wins. It was cheaper for us as insurers. 
but actually that was irrelevant. It was much better for the person to wake up in the morning and got an answer within a few days, yeah. whether or not they had um, cancer. That, that sort of stuff was the role. And I really enjoyed it. I did it for two years and, and learned a huge amount. Thank you for sharing that. I don't think many people are kind of looking to kind of medical insurance as an alternative career path or something they can kind of dabble in. Tell us a bit more about kind of the next, I would call it a chunk of your journey where you kind of joined Babylon, I think initially as strategy and kind of worked your way up as director. How did the opportunity arise and what was your role in there and what did you actually do? Yeah, so I was at Viva for about six months in and then um, I met Ali and Ali Barsas, uh, who was the founder of Babylon, uh, who is the founder of Babylon. Uh, I met his wife uh, and she did not declare, her name's Myri, she did not declare oh, wow. that she knew anything. And we were talking about something entirely different. So she was doing a health accelerator and she wondered if Aviva might want to be a sponsor or a member of that accelerator program. And I remember vividly, we're in the King's Fund and we were just having coffee and we met for a mutual connection. And she, she said, tell me your story. And I said, you know, I'm, I'm this, I'm a paediatrician. I maybe want to be a chief exec of a hospital. I really want to make a difference. I'm trying to understand how money flows, hence I'm at Aviva. And she said, oh, interesting. Have you heard of this guy called Ali Parser? And he had just done Circle at the time. And I said, oh, yes. Um, you know, Circle had done da-da-da. She went, oh, good. Um, and then she said, oh, what do you think of him? And I remember vividly going, uh, well, I don't understand why investment bankers get to run hospital Oh, chains. my God. Mm. And she laughed and went, oh, you have to ask him. And then, and then left. And I thought that was, I didn't think anything of it. And then the next day, Ali phoned up and was like, I hear you've got a question for me. And I was like, like, it took me a while to work out who was like, oh, yes. And so, well, let's meet for coffee. Um, let's have a chat. Uh, we, you know, we set to meet for a coffee. I think we ended up chatting for a good few hours. And he was like, look, this is how I see the world. I think we need to implement, like, rather than talking about technology and healthcare, let's get on and do it. I'm creating this company called Babylon. Um, when you're done with insurance, then, you know, come and join us. Uh, and that was it, really. So then um, I joined Babylon a little bit later, um, which was a great experience. There were about 10 of us when I joined. Um, we built the company up to its IPO and, and you know, had a great time doing that. Amazing. The, the question I want to ha- ask you, and you, you're probably in a good position, is how was the startup when you joined? A very small, tight-knit team. You know, I imagine kind of you're, you're seeing early conversations and then how was it by the time you left? And did you enjoy any less? Because I know a lot of people love kind of the startup hustle and then it gets bigger, corporate, and they're not a big fan. Tell us about that transition in the company and within you as an individual. I loved it. Absolutely loved <clears throat> So absolutely loved being at a startup. It's a great book called Masters of Scale and it describes um, the what happens every time you double the team. And yeah. like the brilliant stories about, we went from 10 people to about three and a half thousand in the time that I was there. Crazy. And every time we doubled the team, you know, we had to find these new things. Like, you know, when there's 10 of you, you go out for lunch when it's someone's birthday and you have a massive cake. When there's like 3,000, you can't take a day, you know, you can't take the time off to go for birthdays or, or spend so much money on cakes as a silly example. Um, by way of story, culturally, I remember there was a real difference when we shifted from being too big to fit on one floor. Hmm. So when we were all on one floor of the building, it was like different. And then, you know, whatever, over the weekend, we split to take over the floor upstairs. And then we moved to two floors and then suddenly it became a little bit like two-tier. Yeah. Um, it was sort of funny with some of us at the top doing strategy type bits or trying to do the propositional bits. And then some of the coders downstairs being like the modern day factory workers, it felt yeah. a little bit odd. 
But I remember that feeling being really interesting to be part of. It was a load of fun doing start up. I'd highly recommend it. I mean, you, you it is your family, your heart yeah. soul goes into it. Uh, you dream about becoming bigger. You know, we grew it as fast as we could. Mm. And now, ironically, I'm at one of the world's biggest companies. And we can talk about that as well in that actually culturally they, they do a really good job at Microsoft and I've been super impressed. But I, I was really intrigued about what it would feel like when we spent so long dreaming about being one of the big guys and then you go to one of the big guys yeah. and see how they do it. And there's, there's definitely parallels as, as well as differences. Absolutely. Um, things you've got to decide if you're thinking about where you join is where you get that energy. Okay. Uh, so I would have said originally, I'm like I'm very much on the startup side. It's a lot more fun than there's fewer management consultants that demand spreadsheets and PowerPoint presentations. Having said that, now that I'm a much bigger organization and as we grew, and I think it's something that clinicians are, are pretty adept at doing, like you do adapt mm. and you can adapt because it's not like we ever said we're going to be a founder or we're going to be a thing. We always said like we had an idea in our minds or at least I did of, you know, I was going to be this thing and now I'm not that thing or a different thing. So I found that quite a good way of being able to then yeah. adapt as we get bigger, but it definitely changes. That's for sure. Absolutely. Mm. Okay. I want to talk a little bit about uh, the scene, the landscape of digital health and what, you're, what you did at first with Babylon, right? Whenever I think or ask anyone about sort of virtual consults, seeing a doctor online, often Babylon comes to mind. What did you guys do when you first came onto the landscape, landscape for digital health as a whole? And what would you say Babylon's great effect was when it first came first onto the scene? I think, you know, I, I love reminiscing about this. I think you know, I'm really proud of what we achieved. Mm. We, and I think the, the two things that spring to mind were we were super positive and, and we built on our momentum. Mm. So, like, we had this, I don't know if anyone's listened to podcasts with Brian Chesky from Airbnb. Yeah. He talks about this, like, you know, what's a seven-star experience? Mm. So there was 10 of us around the table going, well, actually, what's, like, what's a seven-star experience for healthcare? Because, you know, we're nowhere near it today, but let's not just aim for a bit better what is amazing what is like three clicks to be able to get an appointment what mm. is being able to have all of that that's stuff at your fingertips and being able to be that positive about healthcare versus thinking oh no that's never going to happen or actually you know you can't do this that or the other was i think one of our defining assets uh, you know driven by us culturally and others we just let's let's just try and do it let's you know let's not limit ourselves to thinking what can we do uh only if we get, you know, the authority to do it or with all of the constraints that healthcare has, let's dream about what amazing would be and then see how well we can get along that. And then the second was we were really lucky and also really good at building on the momentum that we got. So yeah. every time we got a little bit, we just did a little bit more. Like it was mm. brilliant to be part of because you just keep going out, you know, I've got this one, well, I'm going to get the next one. I've just, I've just, you know, we've got this big, let's see if we can get that much bigger. Um, I've done this in the corporate space. Can we move a little bit on? You know, we've, we've, you know, our excitement, our most exciting story around that is Rwanda, right? Like what, yeah. what startup decides to go from the UK as a starter country to then Rwanda? Mm -hmm. That's entirely mad. And I remember vividly coming into the office and being like, we're going to Rwanda. And we were all sat there going like, I did, like, what are you on? Like, why would you do that? And he said, well, I've just been talking to the health minister in Rwanda. And he was saying to me that they've got more mobile phones in Rwanda than toothbrushes. Oh, wow. like, that's the place we should go, right? Like if we're putting mobile phone we should be in Rwanda and he said you know if we're able to prove that we can do it in one of the world's most developed healthcare economies the UK and one of the most developing i.e Rwanda then everything in between will be easy and we went to Rwanda you know it's a great story I think everybody that's worked at the company is really proud of the achievement there. Well that kind of brings us to the next question I feel like the Babylon kind of paved the way for digital health now that you're at Microsoft 
how do you stay on top of all the new digital health that's coming out? You know, how do you keep your, your, your fingers on the pulse? Because I know a lot of exciting things are happening. Yeah, well, it's got a lot easier. You know, like yeah. you guys exist, people do yeah. podcasts. Like, it's amazing the community that sprung up around it. But I keep on feeling really old because we were yeah. like, oh, you know, you're like one of the people that originally did it. And I'm like, I'm not a granddad yet. <laughs> right? Like, this idea that, but I love the fact that there's a load of people, people are sharing me. Somebody was like, How, do you spend all of your life on LinkedIn? I was like, actually, probably, right? That's, <laughs> people are sharing their stories or trying to, trying to, you know, understand what's going on. And, and it's got a lot easier to be able to see what's happening. I also think that people are, are much better, and by this, I mean, frontline workers and clinicians and people that are working in healthcare, at declaring their interests. So yeah. I love that. Thing is people, I think this is going to work or I don't think it's going to work and again going back to what we've done as Babylon and other companies that have forged that especially in the UK given the context we are in where people now have stopped having that conversation of no I'm just going to say no I mean a big part of that was a pandemic of course where we had to shift into it mm. but now people are so much more open to being able about what we could use and how it may um, may help healthcare mm. that the conversations are a lot richer before you're like oh it's going to be the fifth conversation before anybody's going to even accept that yeah. this might be a good idea yeah because now people have really done that thinking ahead of time and the conversations just start on the right foot um tell us a little bit about how how how, how does exactly big tech microsoft right you, when you think of microsoft you don't really think well n most people don't think healthcare right? What's the role that Microsoft is playing? What role are you playing? And how does it all fit together as a puzzle with healthcare as well? What's the big picture that we're, we all need to see now? So when I, I, I never planned on joining Microsoft. So we IPA'd as Babylon and I thought, this is amazing. Um, I wonder what next. And, and, you know, Babylon was moving into the US and all the bits. Yeah. And then a friend works at Microsoft, uh, Janae Badgewa, who, who I don't know if you've had on, but you must get him on, right? Because yeah. he, he's, he's a guru in this space. And he was saying to me, you know, like, what, have you ever thought about big tech? And I was like, well, no, like, what, like, what would you do in big tech? Yeah. Let alone, like, 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 maybe you got Google for Google Health. Maybe mm. you thought Amazon might be doing something in it. But Microsoft, you're like, really? You know, in spite of Teams and others, like, do they mm. really want to do something here? And he said, I think you'll be really surprised. He said, I think you'll be really, you'll really like the culture that's set up around this. And there's a team being built that's looking at how healthcare um, can develop further as an industry platform and how Microsoft wants to get away from being that we just sell you licenses to office yeah. and whatever else into uh, the stuff that you're hopefully seeing now with AI and trying yeah. to transform it and helping people achieve more. And then he said, I, I think it was him, I think it was him or something, I said, do you, mate, do you think the NHS could run without Microsoft? And I remember going around and I was, I was in the hospital, I was going, actually, just no, right? Like, yeah. It's like it just we just couldn't, and and then I was like, well, you know, do you want to be somebody that shies away from being part of what that might look like for the future, or do you want to get involved? And again, going back to that that mo, I had a chat with the the boss, and I just said, I, I don't know, I don't know how I could help you or whatever else. But from that chat, um, you know, I ended up again interviewing and getting the role. Oh, wow. uh, as I as I reflect on this, I guess it it is just I think don't be afraid to have conversations with people, yeah, and put yourself out there. Like you know, I, I don't know what I'm gonna tell me what you need and, and you know i won't waste your time on it because i'll hopefully be able to offer something i think sometimes we sit too often in our own thoughts thinking well i'm definitely not going to be able to do that um i have no qualifications and, and we miss opportunities yeah absolutely one thing i learned those chaps are dangerous man yeah you end up with it with the job soon after right it's like hey guys i'm not here for the job i just want to quick chat next minute you're in the office right so, but it shows that openness to kind of learn, to adapt, to kind of get to the next stage. Tell us what you do now at Microsoft and 
how it's like you've you've been a clinician, you've worked at a rocket ship of a startup, and now you're at this big tech corporate company. Um, how has life changed? And do you still feel fulfilled and content with the way your career has taken you? Yeah, absolutely. I've been super lucky to, to be where I am. Uh, truthfully, I wasn't expecting to enjoy Microsoft as much as I have done. I mm. thought <laughs> it was going to be a really hard switch from, from startup world to, yeah. um, you know, being able to talk to the CEO to get stuff done to, to one of the world's biggest companies, if not the world's biggest company. So, um, I was really interested to see what that was going to be like. Mm. And I thought, as much as I love the team that I was working with, you know, we met before, I thought eventually this is going to grind me down. It's going to be bureaucratic and all the things. You know, a lot more like working for an insurance company than a than a health tech. I'm really pleased to say it's it's not that at all. It's culturally, it's amazing. I don't quite know how they do it, but it does feel like you could email Satya and he'd respond. Oh wow! Mm. Sure, like I've not tried it, but like it. I, Right? But it really does feel like you're able to, to get that. They've really thought through how do we take people on it. And I, there's a genuine commitment to healthcare. It's a prioritized industry. Everybody enjoys talking about it, especially the NHS. Uh, there's been a long history of Microsoft working with the NHS and kind of that. So day to day, my job is trying to just translate really between what See, sometimes people in Microsoft, I, I now realize 18 months in, mm. okay, but we've got solutions to all of these problems. And they're earnestly trying to fix these problems in the background, right? So they're going, well, we, you know, we've done these patches, we've done this, we've created these bits, or our partners especially, we've given them the Lego bricks to build the solutions that are needed for the challenges that, that we may face on the front line. And they're not used, and it's frustrating for everyone. Yeah. So a big part of it is going, well, let's translate the problems in a way that mean that people can build the solutions better. And equally, let's just try and make sure the solutions that are already there or that are upcoming we're able to explain them in a way that will help them get used. Day-to-day, it's mainly around translating. It's about talking to people about, well, if this is that, then what about this? And how do we how do we work together to get there? A big part of the job is partners as well. We, yeah. We've got a huge number of partners, be it startups to, to big organizations um, that, that use the assets that we've got in order to solve some of those problems. And mm. I get a lot of energy from, from hearing those organizations solving problems and being like, oh, I wish I could do this. And you're like, oh, actually, it turns out I think you can because let me explain the doctor's workflow. Yeah. I think we can put this into the EPR and that'll get over that hurdle. Or equally going to the people like, why don't you just build the pipe work to put it into that process? Because that will cut out, you know, steps four, five, six, and we'll get there sooner. Amazing. It's like a, a great intersection between the technology and some of the problems we are facing in healthcare. And you're right, sometimes we're oblivious to these solutions existing, let alone knowing it's Microsoft, right? despite every computer being on Outlook and it's a Windows computer, right? Um, I think you've, you've definitely had an interesting journey. You've, you've dabbled in, you know, what many people aspire, you know, startups, big tech, clinicians. What advice would you have to kind of increase kind of the surface for such opportunities? How do you go and get those roles? And kind of where do you see healthcare moving, you know, with kind of the advent of AI and kind of big tech getting involved more actively than before? Yeah, I, I... I don't think there's anything more important than our health. So, you know, and, and, and every big tech understands that, every organization understands that uh, with sustainability and health. I think those are the two big things that we um, always come back to. So I think there's a, a really strong relationship that is cemented between healthcare and technology. Hmm. I, I don't feel like it's something that's on the sides so that it's yeah. nice to have. It's an absolute. And um, I don't know if you guys are at Confed, but Amanda Pritchard did a great, 
speech where she talked about how the NHS was the first place that did a CT scan, how we had the the first artificially inseminated baby, how we how we've you know really led the way in many things as a national health service that you couldn't do with a more fragmented or or, or different setup. So healthcare and technology are joined and I think UK healthcare and technology are joined as well more than we sometimes let ourselves yeah. do. That's part one. So I think anybody thinking, well how do I get involved in it? You're going into a relatively mature place. So it's not you're not going into a um you know, down a load of blind alleys, the ecosystem, the platform, the, the whatever is there. But I do think we need to help understand it a bit better in order to be able to, to plot through it um, effectively. But end, I think when people are thinking, what should I do? And this was the experience I had. Uh, I think I talked about it. I, I just, just be really positive and go and talk mm. to as many people as you can. And often people say, well, how long did it take you to work out what you wanted to do? And of course the answer is, I don't really know what I want to do. I don't know what the end outcome is. I think having a deliberate end outcome is, is is really hard if you're creating a portfolio career. But do you have something in mind? Yeah. So I used to say, I want to be a chief exec of a hospital. So that when I was talking to people, they'd get like, oh, I get it now. Like you're a clinician that wants to do that. Can I help you? Can I put you, I can put you into this bucket. Why Why do you think that? You can explore around it. It's a bit like if you've got a patient and they come in and go, I think I've got this. That's actually quite helpful versus something again, well, I don't know what I've got, and they're just describing the symptoms. If you can say, I think I've got this, at least it gives you a starting point. So yeah. that would be my second tip. And then my third tip, I think it took me about five years when I look back on it, which is entirely accidental, that this was not planned, of just talking to people, being at King's Fund events, being at mm. networking events, um, and to just get that network of people around me that then meant somebody said, have you seen that job at Aviva? Um, yeah. Have you thought about doing this type mm. of thing slightly differently? Uh, when I went to the interview, I remember at Aviva and then at Microsoft, like using examples that had come from that, that those five years that had just been of genuine curiosity of yeah. why is that system doing it a bit better or, you know, wh what's happening here? So, so being curious, being positive and getting over imposter syndrome um, and then having a narrative that makes it easy for people to work out how to help you, I think is uh, the way to go. Absolutely. A little bit about, uh, so, so you're very skilled, you've got a growth mindset and you're always learning by the looks of it. Okay. So when we look at the current workforce environment right now, right, looking at the morale, looking at what's happening, it's the big elephant in the room, right? And it's important to address it, right? A doctor is going to be listening to this, right? A lot of them are a bit like, I want to learn more. I'm thinking of going elsewhere. I'm thinking of learning new things and exploring different things how do you go about the acquisition of new skills how do you actually upskill yourself right how did you go about doing that number one and second after you do that yes you go to networking events and you find these job offers and someone refers you right but how do you actually get through the processes of it all so by the looks of it you've had a few in-depth discussions and then that, that's led to a few jobs but does that work for everyone how would you say people go about really and truly getting into the space competing and getting a job i think and it's really easy looking back because you're able to just you know pick out the nice bits and then like all of these things are hard you know the the other so like I think anybody listening like it just takes time and like mm. like all things in life like mm. you, you know you, you hit brick walls you get it wrong and so on and so forth my my top tip on that would be and ali had this great thing of at babylon he would always be like what is it that you're going to do that's 10x your salary mm. it's like mm. i don't care what you want to work right like you, you decide that but you're like, what is it that you're going to deliver that's 10 times the value of that? Because if you can't answer it, then 
then you know you're going to be frustrated as much as I'm going to be frustrated, right? So let's try and work out 10x. So that was our that was our exam question or our interview question. What is it that you're going to do that's 10x what you're able to to do? And we we were we were pretty good at not 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 like I'm a management consultant and therefore I need this or I've got this skill or that. It's what are you going to do that's going to bring 10x? Mm. Broadly, that meant uh, doing one of three types of roles, and we mm. would say that we have three functions, and I. This, this stands up to, to most organizations. Um, the first one is like build, right? So you can build something and then that can be sold and that's 10 times its value, right? So mm. what is it? second is is sell. So what is it if somebody's built something, somebody's got to sell it. That's a vertical or the, the segment that I fit in and I'll get to my experiences of that um, in a minute. And then the third is run. So you know, it's easy in build, I build something and sell it, I, I sell it, I sell it, what 10x is. Run's a little bit harder, you know, it's what can I do to make it 10 times more efficient or mitigate X amount of risk. Yeah. When I had that explained, it was then really clear to me that, well, then you've got to become an expert in that thing. It's a bit like, well, I want to be a specialist. Mm. How do I go become a specialist in sell? So in my work, I, I like talking, I, I, I don't mind presenting to stages, I, you know, I like networking. So I was going to get energy from from that, right? Like I can't code to save my life. Maybe I can write the old protocol and do the governance, but I don't get my energy from that. So well, how do you go and be good at that? You mean, well, you know, Ali's the best salesman I'd ever met, right? Like he was so good at explaining what he wanted to do. Yeah. Like, well, I want to go and learn how to do that. Well, Aviva, I went and joined the sales teams um, when they were out and about because I found that stuff fascinating and then mm. started to them so my advice would be work out what it is you want to be versus being reactive to what opportunity comes up so if there's a uh, and I, I find this off too often with clinicians they end up in the run category because yeah. that's the one people are like well i get it right you can do that because that's probably what's most akin to what you've been trained to do mm. The challenge is, is probably also the most frustrating in your day-to-day -day life, right? So you're like, well, I'm not enjoying my current job because I've got to run a department or I've got to do this or I've got to take the risk for the, you know, whatever protocol we've put in place. And I want something that gives me more energy if I'm building a portfolio career. But it does take time, a bit like if you want to become a specialist mm. in learning the skills behind those. You know, if I wanted to go into build and go into product, then, you know, you have to do the same. You have to spend time with product teams. You have to... Um, get that experience finally on that i think that having that 10x in mind has also always been really helpful when i thought mm. about the next job so there, there are some things and depending on where you are in life you might go well i'm happy to not take a very big income but i really want to get that sorted mm. so uh, you know and then again using that sort of that calculation maybe i could do that or maybe if i'm doing something part-time then I can do that sum not on my total salary. Uh, I can do this, well, what, what is one day a week for me? Or what is, you know, a couple of days a month? How can I quantify that? But knowing that if I am going to get something for it, I'm going yeah. to deliver value back. And I think that's a very good way to see it. And the 10x works because it puts in a mindset of growth, right? Not in just a yeah. salary, skill set, roles. I just wish they had like a sorting hat, like Harry Potter. So as soon as you graduate, they put it on your head and like, all right, you're going to be a founder. You're going to be an exec. You're going to be into consulting. Yeah, that would be good. <laughs> the, the last question to kind of bring it all together. I know at the beginning of your journey, you wanted to be a pediatrician. You then wanted to become the CEO, exec of a hospital. What do you want to become now, right? You might sound like a silly question, but what's the end goal for Umay? Yeah, I, I, I don't know the answer. Like I'd say I am a pediatrician, so like that's, that's core to my identity. And, yeah. and there's another, I saw Helen Bevan do this great talk way, way back when, and um, her view was like keeping your identity is really hard. So yeah. when, you, when you want to think about giving up medicine, try and going and telling people at a dinner party that you're a management consultant. 
And actually, I worked out that I got a real buzz from telling people I did pediatrics. I mean, it's nice. a shortcut for people thinking you're nice and, you yeah. know, uh, give me more food or whatever. But, you know, like <laughs> this idea that people would always be more sympathetic. I remember quantifying it. I can't, I was like, I think this is worth X amount of salary to me to keep. Yeah. And therefore, worthwhile sticking to you. So that, that was one tip. And um, so I, I've managed to stick to that. When I was, you know, at Babylon, the idea was I, I wanted to be a founder. I thought, you know, being an entrepreneur was a way to do it. Yeah. Yeah, that was a super exciting time um when you then realize what it takes to be a founder like, <laughs> like it's suddenly it's suddenly you're like well hang on a minute but you know so, so maybe a founder in the future like say now at microsoft i would i was thinking microsoft was a a journey that was like wouldn't it be amazing to work at microsoft and see how they yeah. do it but now that i'm here i feel especially with the new stuff coming out around ai and mm. where the world is going i can see a, a sort of career in that being developed yeah. in the organization um I don't quite have the end goal in mind, but uh, you know, if anyone's got any, any good ideas, then let me know. No, definitely. Thank you for sharing that. But I can always sense the kind of the openness and, and this kind of growth mindset. Um, I can tell you, you're, you're a very good pediatrician, like very calm, very nice, very happy. Uh, but no, thank you, man, for taking the time out to have a chat with us, share your story. Um, there's probably not enough time in the world to kind of dip into all the different bits you've done, but we, we wish you the best. And I think a lot of people find inspiration and kind of, motivation from listening to it for sure thank you so much for having me it's always great to be able to talk and if anybody is listening and they want some advice or they want to reach out then do look me up on linkedin right like i'd love to love to share what i know no for sure we'll we'll leave the link below thank you once again